There is nothing better than starting off a Sunday with a baptism. And it is a privilege and honor to be a part of that clay. So thank you. Thank you. Stephen Hawking wrote a book in 1988 called A Brief History of Time. None of his publishers expected the book to be popular at all. It was in the London Times bestseller list for 237 weeks straight. Fortunately for Stephen Hawking, Shakespeare and the Bible aren't counted, but it was popular. People were interested in a book about physics. It hit a nerve in our culture, but regardless of all the many discoveries before Hawking and after him, we continue to ask the same questions. Where do we come from? What is our origin story? Why are we here? A few weeks ago, we started a series called Back to the Basics, and we've spent a ton of time on just the very first line of the Apostles' Creed. This whole series is based on that creed. We did three sermons on one line, and uh, now we're talking about uh, God as the maker of heaven and earth. We are finally finishing the first line of that creed. And whether or not you're a Christian, whether or not you believe in God, my bet is that you have asked questions about our universe. Why is there something rather than nothing? What is the source of everything we know about the world? And like we said a few weeks ago, sometimes we believe that there are two options. Either there is a God who created everything, or there is no creator, no God, and no need of a creator God. But humans have actually never assumed that those were just the two options we had. There's an infamous story, potentially a legend, about a lecture by the atheist scientist uh, Bertrand Russell. Uh, he was talking about how the Earth orbits the sun, and at the end of the lecture, a little old lady came up to him and said, what you have said is rubbish. The world is actually a flat plate supported on the back of a giant tortoise. And the scientist smiled and replied, but what is the tortoise standing on? And the old lady said, you are a very clever young man, very clever. It's turtles all the way down. <laughs> There's not just one view of creation. That's one of them. And we cannot assume in this city or any part of our country that there are just two options out there. There is not universal agreement about this topic. And whoever you are, a lot rides on your view of creation. Do we owe anything to a creator who exists out there somewhere? Should we care about what happens to the earth? Is our universe good or evil or somehow a mix of both? Is history headed in a particular direction with an end in sight or is it endlessly cyclical? It all depends upon your view of creation. And there's so much to say, I want to say so much, but I'm only going to say two things, try to make two points this morning. First of all, what I believe 
is contained in the statement that the God, God, the Father Almighty, is maker of heaven and earth, is that from nothing, God created everything good. And the second point is that only the creator of everything can restore everything. Now, we just heard a beautiful reading of the first chapter of the Bible. It's all about creation, and it begins with one of the most famous lines in Scripture. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. Other translations say when God began to create the heavens and the earth. But however you translate it, God simply speaks, and things exist. Light appears, land appears, stars appear, because God Speaks, And this really helps us to understand that first point. From nothing, out of nothing, God created everything. See, God is a different kind of creator than we are. There's a lot of creative people in this room uh, who do incredible things in your workplace, and people know you as creative. But the way humans create is that we start with raw materials and turn it into something else. We see a tree, we cut it down, a few, few tasks after that, and then it becomes a table, right? We start with raw materials, and then we create something. God started with nothing, absolutely nothing. God simply spoke, and things began to exist. In English, we don't really see the difference between creator or maker, but biblically speaking, The one creator God is completely different in his creation than us. We are creative creatures, but God is the uncreated creator. And we see this in so many passages of Scripture. Romans 4.17 says, God calls things into existence that do not exist. Hebrews 11.3 says, The worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of visible things. I love the way that, I I couldn't find the, the source of this quote, but I just love it so much. The person said, God doesn't have a beginning, but the beginning has God. And this chapter isn't just informative, it's full of fighting words. Because other cultures around Israel had their own creation stories. And in those creation stories, the gods would have battles, and afterwards, one god would take the body of another god and turn it into our world. And the first chapter of Genesis is saying, oh, that's so adorable. Your gods had a battle? Well, our god didn't fight other gods because there's no such thing as other gods. Oh, you worship the sun? Our god made the sun. You worship the moon? God made it for us as a little nightlight. Our God doesn't need raw materials. Our God doesn't need to make room for creation. Our God speaks and things appear. He doesn't have to battle with anyone because there is no one to battle with. This whole first chapter of Genesis is saying this is how powerful the one true God is. I love the way that Ian McFarlane, a theologian, puts this. He says, in the beginning... There's nothing but God. There is created nothing apart from God, and in creating, nothing limits God. God is the creator of every single one of the billion stars in our galaxy. God is the source and maker of the vacuum of space, of dark matter and black holes. And I don't understand any of those things. I just know God made them. He's truly the source 
of all things. And Scripture also says that God even created invisible things. Colossians 1.16 says, All things were created by him, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. And, and the fact that God makes invisible things is so important. Because sometimes Christians lump God into the same category of kind of spiritual beings. There's God and angels and demons, and all of that is the spiritual stuff. But the Bible has so much more of a transcendent view of God. King Solomon says even heaven cannot contain God. Angels and humans and dogs and cats, probably cats are made by God, but all of those things... All of those things are made by God. Nothing is on God's level. Now, knowing uh, that God created everything is different, very different, than knowing how God created everything. And as much as I'm really tempted to avoid questions about science and faith, I cannot uh, I actually emailed a member of this church who's a physicist, and he sent my email to other scientists, which wasn't scary at all. Um, and they emailed back all of this great advice, and I told him I was feeling better because now, you know, all of my words in my sermon were approved by scientists. Uh, one scientist in particular emailed back, frustrated that in his career and in his life as a Christian, he sees this competition between science and faith. And unfortunately, debates about science and faith just often generate so much more heat than light. So much more anger than truth. And instead of trying to settle those debates, I just want to zoom out for a second and talk about this. First of all, I'll repeat in what, what I said in the very first sermon. Christians do not want you to turn your brain off. Faith is not shutting down your mind as soon as you walk those, through those two doors. We have a retired UT math professor who is a longtime member of this church. We have a physicist who's working on a project involving nuclear energy. Am I nervous about talking about science in front of them? Absolutely. But if you're a student or someone who has studied science your whole life, I am thrilled that you are using your mind to contribute to your field, whether you're a nurse or janitor or teacher or engineer or coach or author or therapist. We want Christians in those fields using their mind. Now, some of us really worry about science because we think that science tries to disprove religion, but I actually found this analogy really helpful from a scholar named Dr. Solaretter. She says, think about having a map of a huge complex city like New York. If you're trying to drive through New York City, but you only had a map of the sewer system, you would be lost, right? Because you're operating on a different level. But if you needed to fix the sewers, but you only had a map of the roads, you would get lost in the sewers of New York, which no one wants to be. And she says faith and science are like different maps. They're overlapping but working at different levels, guiding us to true knowledge of the universe that God has made. And if you've got a map 
with every single possible piece of information on it, it would be impossible to read. You, maps actually leave some information out in order to help you navigate the complex city, and science and faith are like that. And in the past, science and faith actually had a beautiful relationship. Universities were originally based on monasteries, right? If you imagine the UT student rushing to class, that just used to be a monk rushing to prayer time. It was all based on what Christians invented in monasteries. And I love that the discipline of science grew out of the belief that God made a universe with order and structure, and he gave us minds to discern it. One of the things I love about the passage we just read is the beautiful order. I don't know if you noticed, but each set of the three days actually matches the other. So on the first day, God makes light, and on the fourth day, God makes the sun, moon, and stars. On the second day, God creates the sky and the waters below, and on the fifth day, God creates birds and fish to fill the sky and waters. On the third day, God creates land, and on the sixth day, God creates animals and humans to fill the land. God is making this ordered world, and so many scientists actually did not see their discipline at odds with their faith. Johannes Kepler, who discovered laws about orbital motion, said that science is a way of thinking God's thoughts after him. The idea that developed into the Big Bang began with a Christian named George Lamatre, and it was dismissed and mocked by an atheist named Fred Hoyle. The current leader of the Human Genome Project is Francis Collins, who is an outspoken Christian. Science and Christianity have often had a beautiful relationship with each other. My only warning, my only warning about science and faith is if we're tempted to marry our view of creation to a particular scientific theory. In the conclusion of Hawking's book, uh, he puts not one or two or three, but 16 models of the universe. 16. Just this week, Time published an article. Uh, I got this from Joe Parks. Time published an article that said the universe could be two billion years younger than previously estimated. <laughs> At so many points, Christians are tempted to marry ourselves to one scientific theory, and then it's only a matter of time before we realize that scientific theory may not be as sturdy as we thought. And I couldn't find the source to this quote, but I think it's so beneficial. The, the theology that marries the science of the day is the widow of tomorrow. We believe that God is the maker of heaven and earth, but we don't have to marry ourselves to one theory. And because we know that God is the maker of heaven and earth, we're not surprised that his creation is good. You probably heard this over and over and over during the reading of the first chapter of Genesis. God creates, God separates, God names, and then God says it's good. And people haven't actually assumed that creation is a good thing. We have a quote from a Persian king who is interacting with Christians, and he said, he's totally mocking them. He said, these Christians serve one deity. 
And they attribute the origin of creeping things to a good God. I mean, he can't believe it. These Christians actually think our world was made good. But when we read the creation story, we know that it is good. And God calls each individual thing good. He says the sky is good, animals are good, plants are made good. And then when he looks at the whole thing, God says, very, very good. 1 Timothy 4, 4 through 5 says, Everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected, provided it is received with thanksgiving. Our God has made a good world. And there's a lot of evil and suffering and death and decay now, but He originally made it good. And that leads me to my second point, which is obviously going to go faster than the first one. Only the Creator of everything can restore everything. Later in our creed, we say the words that Christ is going to return to judge the living and the dead. And you might have heard about this, whether you're a Christian or not. Christians refer to the end of time as the final judgment. And I think just our initial reaction to that is we must be afraid. And I think some of that reverence makes sense. God is almighty. Nothing limits his power. But you've got to remember that the same God who's judging us at the end is the same God who made the world good in the first place. And it makes sense because the only one who knew the intention and purpose of the world can say that it has fallen short. This is why Proverbs 14.31 says, Those who oppress the poor insult their maker. Right? The Bible bases its view of the final judgment and the justice that God will bring on His role as creator of everything at the beginning. I love the way that Jackie Hill Perry said this. She says, God's ultimate justice on those who commit injustice offers a kind of hope. Where our justice system has failed, God will not. In the end, the same God who is going to judge is the God who created everything. He knows how the world ought to be. And the the encouraging thing to me about the final judgment is that it is not obliteration. This is why Jesus refers to the end times as the renewal of all things. Jesus does not think our world is a bad one in need of total destruction. He believes that it's a sick world that needs healing. A sinful world that needs forgiving. That's why we want Jesus to come back. We want God to put a stop to evil. We anticipate that one day God will really fix everything for good. And that's why we're so committed to this first line of the Apostles' Creed that says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. God really created everything good from nothing. And in the end, God, the creator of everything, will restore everything.
And in the meantime, in the meantime, God sustains everything always. This is the foundation of our creed. God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in the end, he will come to judge. We look forward to that day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the source of all things. You made the world good. You love us. You care for us. You know the true intention and purpose of our world. We thank you that you not only created everything, but in the end, you will restore everything. You will not leave us out to dry. You will not leave us completely and destroy everything. You will heal this sick world. You will forgive this sinful world. You will put a stop to evil and you will make good eternal. We look forward to that day. We revere you. We trust you. And we know that on that day you will make all things right. You created everything good and you will fix everything for good. We pray all these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.